You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Um, Terry and I uh, got back from Columbus, Ohio last uh, week. We ministered there. How many have ever been to Columbus, Ohio? All right. Most of us had never been. I've never been before, and uh, I was glad we went there. It was a beautiful city. It was beautiful weather, and uh, we have friends, Dave and Kathy Swart there, who planted a church there that partners with us, with New Covenant Ministries International team, and uh, they partner with this church, and they were planted out of Chicago about a year ago, and already last weekend there was about 130 people there, uh, so it's doing very well as a brand new church plant, uh, very much alive, full of babies and young families, and it was wonderful to be able to minister there. They send their love. And so also the team that we connect to, NCMI, uh, they're also planting, uh, we're also planting a church in Southern California coming up in a few months in Chino, California, a church called Upward Call, and our very good friends, Darian and Kanisha Venerable, are here this morning, and uh, we just wanted to introduce them to you as a church. Terry and I have known them for uh, well over 25 years. They were in the youth group when we were working with the youth group in our old church, and uh, we can, we can, (laughs) yeah, you just got called old, so... This is Kanisha, and she's a wonderful worship leader. And uh, Darian, why don't you come on up and say hi uh, to the church? Good morning. Um, I was saying to Steve last night, I'm surprised you're still my friend uh, after all these years, and I'm thankful that he can't remember half of the things that uh, I put him through. Uh, <laughs> not because of age, just because he has grace. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's really been uh, a real honor for us to be here this, uh, these last few days with all of you and uh, with, the, with the leadership here at Westside. Um, really supportive and, and really glad that we're able to partner with uh, Steve and Terry and with all of you as we head down from uh, Denver uh, to Chino, which is Southern California area. Um, we are taking our, uh, we're taking two of our three kids and uh, a couple of people that are already down uh, in, in Chino ready to... Uh, hit the ground running. Um, so at the end of May, we are moving back down, uh, down south. Um, we're going to be hitting, the, like I said, hitting the ground running, starting meetings uh, that third week of June and launching uh, officially uh, September, third week of September, which is actually back to school or back to church National. Sunday, National Back to Church Sunday. So um, trying to time, trying to time that just in case you didn't put it in calendar. Um, <laughs> Just, uh, just maybe a few things you can pray with us uh, about. Um, one, we are praying for a, a team, uh, a launch team, a larger launch team to, uh, to start partnering with us. Um, the second thing is maybe the transition, moving. They say um, three of the most stressful things in life are losing a loved one, moving, and starting a new job. So I'm doing two out of the three. So if you can pray for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, and then, uh, just, uh, it just, it does take finances to, to get this thing going. And, uh, we're just, we're full of faith. Um, and we're just believing that God's gonna, um, he's called us, uh, to pull out some of my Pentecostalisms. It's God's will. So it's God's bill. Uh, <laughs> but if you can pray that he actually, you know, starts to finance, <laughs> that'd be good. <laughs> Anyways. <thanks. laughs> 
<laughs> Where God guides, He provides. There we go. Yeah. A very warm welcome to you if this is your first time here at Westside. We appreciate you guys coming and uh, pray God's blessing on you as you uh, worship with us this morning. Um, we're not always this weird. Sometimes we're worse. And uh, I'll tell you what, at Westside Church, we don't think we're it, really. We're part of it. We're glad that we're part of it, but we're not it. Paul says that in Romans 12. Each of you is a part of it. Um, but we really actually do love God as much as lies within us. We love Him, and we want to honor His Word and give uh, weight and authority to the Word of God. And that's how we live our lives, and we genuinely believe that. We encourage each believer to get involved in their sphere of influence and represent the goodness of the gospel, the light uh, of the world, Jesus, and represent Him uh, brightly in their sphere. And so it's very simple. And uh, we look at the uh, church in the New Testament. We see a pattern there. It wasn't very complicated. It was people who radically followed Jesus. They were called disciples. And they went and told people everywhere that their feet took them. And so uh, that's what we're about. That's who we are here at Westside. Um, We're in the middle of a series. We started on Easter Sunday on strong, healthy families. And that day, over at the fairgrounds, we... Uh, they're going to be out observing some junior high and some of our uh, kids' ministries while they're here. And are you going to? I'm going to sit by. Kanisha grew up with Faith, and so they're good friends and uh, been friends for a long time. And so don't talk while I'm talking. All right. So <laughs> pretend like they're in a youth group again. <laughs> so strong, healthy families are made up of strong, healthy individuals. And strong, healthy individuals are people who have founded their lives on the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His Word. And they have uh, chosen to follow Him. They've chosen to get off the throne of their life and put Jesus in His place of preeminence in their life. And they've obeyed the call of God and the will of God on their life. And so, uh, strong, healthy families. Next Next week, we talked about them... Uh, looking forward. Like Paul said, I forget the things that are behind me and I press on and I look forward. Then we spoke the next week about strong, healthy families um, are whole in body, soul, and spirit. And we kept defining families as uh, there's all kinds of families. They come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. We have yet to find an average family in this church. There could be, let me ask, is there any mom and dad with two kids and a baby on the way in this building right now? 2.5 is the average family. So we're looking for the average family. So all of you are not average. You're either above average or below average, but you're not average, all right? So you stand out and... <laughs> you st- anyway, uh, I'm going to get in trouble. Last week, Tyler really preached well on strong, healthy families walking freedom. It's a great picture. And this week, I'm going to talk about strong, healthy families um, are in unity. And they walk in oneness and in unity. I'll tell you what, unity is a big deal. When soldiers march across a, a bridge in the old days, because you have a couple hundred soldiers taking the same step at the same time, 
they would begin to set up a reverberation through the structure and they would collapse oftentimes. So soldiers have a command, the sergeant will yell out, break step, and they'll just walk in, you know, normally without walking in unison across the bridge. Because together we can accomplish way more than we can individually. And so I'm going to talk about three things this morning and then uh, provide some practical application uh, to those three different things. The first thing we're going to talk about is that there's strength in unity. Uh, we're stronger and better off when we walk together. And so it's like the, the mouse and the elephant that walked across the bridge. And the mouse looks up at the elephant and says, we sure shook that bridge, didn't we? Because they're walking together. And sometimes we're walking with the Lord and he does most of it. And we think that we're accomplishing a lot. Uh, but it's wonderful to be linked uh, together with him. Um, God cre- never created us to uh, be alone. Never created us to be alone. He, he's always had the intention of us being uh, together, walking in community. There's several pictures of the church in the New Testament. The church is pictured as an army. Uh, the church is pictured as a flock, as a family, as a building, as a body. There's all kinds of pictures of the church. No one picture is perfect. That's why there's so many pictures of the church. Uh, but all of them require many parts. And that's where Paul says, of the body, he says, each of you is part of it. Each of you is a piece of the body. Jesus is the head. You cannot apply for that position. It's already taken. He's the head of the church, uh, his body, and we're all parts of the body. Some parts of the body are more visible. Uh, Some parts of the body are less visible. But all parts are are, uh, important, and all parts have a function. So uh, I just love that picture of unity and the necessity of working together. We see team all through Scripture. We see team in Adam and Eve. We see team uh, with the uh, apostles working together. On the day of Pentecost, Peter got up there and preached his first sermon, but he didn't say, hey, guys, Jesus is gone. Now I'm the head honcho. He didn't say that. In fact, Acts chapter 2 says, Peter taking his stand with the eleven. He knew he was part of a team that Jesus had discipled, and he wasn't up there speaking on his own initiative. I am not speaking on my own initiative today. There's a team of eight elders in this church, and I take my stand with the elders. All right? And so we're working in team. I happen to be the chief spokesperson of of our eldership team here at Westside. That's just my function. It doesn't mean I'm any better or any worse than anybody. That's just what I do. And so we see uh, Peter and John going through the temple, and they heal the man who's been lame for 40 years. And he thinks he's going to get some almsgiving from them as they look at him. And Peter is with John, but Peter doesn't say, look at me. He says, look at us. Just little tiny things like that. All through Scripture, we see apostles working together. Peter, I mean, uh, Paul and um, Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Timothy and Titus, you know, and Apollos uh, working together, always working together in team. We see team in marriage. We see team in leadership, teams in churches all through Scripture. We even see team within the Godhead. Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. That is not just archaic King James language. God is speaking amongst himself. One God eternally existent in three persons. God himself had eternal fellowship within the Godhead. We see that all through scripture. Uh, Anybody here like horses? Horses, horses, horses. Anybody? All right. 
Draft horses are large horses, farm horses, very strong horses. It's said that a, a, a draft horse can pull on a sled a load of 8,000 pounds. That's a lot. They're very strong. It's hard to even conceive how strong they are. In the old days, armies could conquer nations with uh, a couple hundred draft horses they called heavy horse uh, with knights in armor on them, and they could conquer other places. So if one, if one horse uh, could pull 8,000 pounds, how much could two horses pull? And the immediate thought in my mind goes to 16,000 pounds. Two times eight is 16. And so that's not the answer. The answer is two horses, two draft horses pulling uh, together can pull a weight of 24,000 pounds. That's three times as much as one horse pulling individually, not just two horses. Now, we can also learn more from there because two horses, two draft horses who have been practicing together and have been working together for a length of time cannot pull three times as much as one horse could pull. They can pull 32,000 pounds, four times as much as two could. It's amazing. Now, are the horses getting any stronger? No, they're not. They can only pull so much. But there's something that takes place when you work together uh, where you either, and I don't know how horses talk in horse language, but they encourage one another and prod one another. Uh, just like Hebrews says, we encourage, spur one another along toward love and good deeds. I'm telling you what, two can do more. Two together can do more than two individuals separate. The Bible even talks about that. One shall put a thousand to flight and two shall put... 10,000 to flight, not 2,000, but 10,000. There's this exponential uh, power that takes place. And that also uh, exponentially grows when we pray together. If two of you agree on anything here on earth. And, and so Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to walk together. Don't walk in isolation. And so um, I like, you guys know that I like Peanuts cartoons. Uh, I like uh, probably my favorite character has to be Snoopy, but next to him of, of real people. That's a joke. That's a cartoon, okay? Of the real people, it has to be Lucy. So Lucy can be pretty mean sometimes, but I like Lucy because she is a truth teller. Uh, she tells the truth. So here's a cartoon strip. And I also found out this week that... Um, all you got to do is go to peanuts.com. <laughs> and every, every comic strip that Charles Schultz ever wrote is on there. You just search by word search and you can find any strip. Like the one time, I remember I was in the army in Germany. And for years and years, you know, Charlie Brown never wins a baseball game. Remember that? Uh, and so finally, I have it at home. It's laminated. It's a little black and white strip about this big. And they won. And you know what Charlie Brown says? He says, we won. And that was, that, I mean, that was the last thing. And you're going, finally, you know, finally they win. win. Anyway, I like peanuts. So um, poor little Linus is sitting there watching TV, and Lucy comes in, and she goes, switch channels. And there's no movement. And she said, I said, switch channels. I want to watch my program. This is a color cartoon, like on Sundays. And he turns around, and Linus goes, are you kidding? What makes you think that you can just walk right in here and take over. And so Lucy says, these five fingers, let's put that one up, the first one up, these five fingers, individually, they're nothing, 
but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. <laughs> and, and poor Linus goes, which channel do you want? And then he sighs, and then he turns to the side, and he says, why can't you guys get together like that? That is the best illustration of unity. Because five, together as one, are much more powerful than like poke, poke, poke like this. But boom, uh, it's, it makes a big difference. So we're talking about unity today. Once again, we are better off working together, walking together. God created us to be in community and on mission. Number two, I'm going to talk about marriage for a little while. It's kind of a subject in our culture. And the Bible speaks to that. And so uh, the Bible says that the two shall become one. My friend Leon Van Dahl, he's on the NCMI uh, apostolic uh, team. He lives in Australia. He and his wife have been uh, in ministry well over 50 years. And uh, he was like the go-to person. Leon and Pat were the go-to people for marriage uh, ministry for many, many years in our togetherness. And so last September, he got up and... uh, he said, I just want to say something to you. You know, all these younger people working and serving uh, the Lord are from around the world. There's about 400 people from our team that Terry and I are on, uh, on this uh, NCMI team. And so we were there for, for a meeting together, and Leon got up, and he said this. He said, the greatest test of and insight into your life, the greatest test an insight into your life, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and your relationship with God, is your marriage. That's the greatest test that you're going to ever encounter as far as that. That's what he said, and there's a whole lot of truth to that. Back in Genesis, God says this, Then the Lord said, Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I want to talk about that word helper just for a second. In our culture today, there's a lot of the female persuasion that look at that as a negative word. I just want to say this. That word helper is used most often in the Bible referring to Almighty God. He is our help in times of trouble, our very defense. Husband, your helper is your help. In times of trouble, your very defense. That same word, that same word is used in, in Greek in the New Testament instead of Hebrew in the Old Testament. When Jesus says the Father will send another helper, referring to the Holy Spirit. So another helper means that Jesus was also a helper. So Father, Son, Spirit in the Bible are referred to as helper way more often than it's referred to as women. I just want to say, women, gals, you are in good company with Almighty God. And here's the reason why, because not one man by himself or one woman by him, herself uh, fully represent, this is what I believe, uh, fully represent the complete character of God. But when they come together in one and are united as one, that's a perfect picture of the complete character of God that he's put within us as individuals. And so that's why God said it's not good for man to be alone. If you are single and hoping to be uh, married, just hold on and listen, I have a few more things for you. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens 
and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord... God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Woo-Man because she was taken out of man. All right? He named her too, right? So he called her a woman. That's my take on it. Um, Now listen very carefully. Therefore, a man, singular, shall, cleave his, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, singular. And they shall become one flesh. This is the definition of marriage in Bible. One man and one woman joined together by God. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, And talking about uh, marriage in the Bible and the importance of becoming one, the two becoming one, uh, a lot of times people say, ah, you know, there's there's no real prescription, there's no real instructions on how to do a wedding ceremony, what's it supposed to look like, how are you supposed to be married, what if you're on a deserted island and there's no pastor around or no, you know, uh, county recorder, you know, or something like this, and so... Um, this all too often, if you're a young woman, this is all too often whispered in your ear by uh, maybe nice guys, but um, thinking a little bit selfishly, hey, the Bible says if we have a sexual union, we become one. So we'll be married before God like this. Jesus met a woman at a well in... uh, Where was it? It was... John chapter 2, met the woman at the well, and he sat down with her and paid attention to her. Uh, She was a woman, and uh, she was a Samaritan. So it was a big deal that Jesus talked to her, and he said, "Uh, why don't you go get your husband? And she goes, I don't have a husband. And he goes, actually, you've answered very well. You don't have a husband. You've had four, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Jesus said, the one you're living with now and having sex with now is not your husband. It's not how you get married. Um, How about just getting the piece of paper? Oh, it's just a piece of paper. Let's do it. Okay, if we have to obey the laws of the land, we'll do that. We'll go get this little piece of paper. Well, a lot of nations around the world, see, God's, God's principles and laws apply to any culture. It applies to any century. That's why a lot of things change. The styles change. Traditions change. But the foundation remains the same. And so we want to honor God's word. A lot of nations don't have marriage requirements. In fact, many nations have unbiblical marriage requirements. So Romans 13, Paul says that each one of us should obey the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So God sets up governments. He sets up kings and brings them down. This is God under God's control. And so I say it seems best legally and before God 
uh, seems the way to go, legally and before God. And um, here's why I say that, because we want to submit to the governing authorities. If you want to be married and have this union, you need to do this before the, the government uh, here, the culture that we're in. That's what I'm addressing. And uh, we also want to do it and honor the union before God and before witnesses. So as believers, it, it is important for us to take a moment to consider um, the true purpose of marriage. I just want to say this. If you are married today, understanding God's purpose for you will help your marriage and you'll grow together. If you are single together, you want to be in a healthy church that has healthy marriages in it. You'll be better off for it. You really will be. And as singles, I just want to say this to you. If you're hoping to get married someday, make sure that you find a mate that loves God more than they love you. Make sure that Jesus is the center of their life and that Jesus is the center of your life and that you love him more than you love your prospective mate. If you have two people here and they want to grow closer to God, God and two people make a great, uh, the Bible says a three-four-fold cord is not easily broken. That's how they make twine. They intertwine three pieces of string that you could pull apart. And just try it sometime with kite string. You can break kite string. It's not easy, but you can break it. And then try to wind three of those or braid three of those together and then try to break it. It's like almost impossible. Even two guys can, can uh, hardly pull that apart. A uh, threefold cord is not easily broken. There's strength in unity. And so when God is the center and you have two, so if you have two people who their passion in life is to grow closer to God and so they're growing closer to God, what's happening to them as they grow closer to God? They get closer to each other. You want to get closer to your spouse? Love Jesus more. Both of you tune in to him and draw close together with him and see that taking place. So marriage is God's doing. It's God's doing. It was his design. He gave away the first bride. He gave Eve to Adam. And God spoke the design of marriage into existence. And then God performs this two-become-one-flesh thing that's amazing. And you see how it works out. Physically, it works out where you have children, and, 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 and there's two that become one now. And so Terry and I are not related by blood, but our kids, we're related, both related by blood to our kids. It's amazing. It was a lot of fun in my family. I was a foster kid with two sisters. We had three of us, and we had five in, in the family, and that's my family to this day. So one sister, my natural sister, had a son, and my foster sister had a daughter, and they grew up as cousins, and they were not related by blood, and they got married. And so then they had children, and a lot of their friends go, ooh, like this, but they didn't realize that they weren't uh, connected by blood. And so they had children. So now me and my sister's foster kids are all related by blood to our family because they had the child down here. It's cool how God works things out. It works out spiritually, how the two become one spiritually and how you're working together and you have a dream together and a passion together to see God moving in that direction. So man did not create marriage. God did. It was his design from the beginning. And in Genesis, it's implicit that that was God's design. And in the New Testament, Jesus makes it explicit. 
he puts a huge stamp of authority on, on it when he says, um, uh, quoting in Mark chapter 10, Jesus, he first quotes Genesis where he says, the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is a big deal and you do not enter marriage lightly because when you're joined together in holy matrimony god says don't let it be separated and there's people sitting in this room today that have gone through the divorce and they would be the first to tell you do whatever you can to have a strong healthy united under god marriage where that doesn't take place so when a couple gets married, they're not the center of attention. They're not the main actor in the play. It's not the pastor. It's Jesus. He's the one that it's centered around. In fact, a godly marriage represents the gospel to the world. The gospel is that Jesus came out of eternity into this earth to live among us so that we would know what God is like. We couldn't understand who God was. And then Jesus died for our sins, even though he was sinless. And then he rose again on the third day, just like the prophets foretold. And and now he's coming back for his bride, the church. That's all believers from all time. And this huge picture of this gospel picture is right in a marriage where you have a guy leaving his home and, and laying down his life for his wife, loving his wife like Christ loved the church and giving himself daily, dying to his own desires and wishes and preferences to, to love on his wife and, and, and the wife understanding that God put that love in her actually to a greater degree than he put it in the man. So it's easier for, generally, it's easier for women to love men than it is for women, men to love women. And so men, what do they do well? They don't do the love thing as well as the women do. They do the respect thing as well. I've never met a guy say, uh, do you respect your wife? And they go, oh, I cannot believe what she does. I respect her so much. That's easier for him. So God says, I want you to do for each other what is the more difficult thing. Men, I want you to love your wife. It's a little more difficult for you. Wives, I want you to respect your husband. It's a little more difficult for you. And you do this thing. Just read Ephesians when Paul theologically puts all that together for us. So wow, marriage is for God's glory so that his good news is represented to the world in a tangible way. All right? Oh, I just requoted John Piper. He said, marriage is meant by God to put that gospel reality on display to the world. So whatever wedding ceremony you have, if you have a... Terry and I had a small wedding where she came down the circular stairway of her parents' house in Big Bear Lake. Uh, and and uh, you might have a huge traditional wedding. It doesn't matter. Those things aren't as important as recognizing the purpose of marriage is before God, honoring the human authority. As long as human authority doesn't usurp God's authority and tell you to do something that's ungodly, and it's not ungodly to have a marriage certificate, so you just honor God through submitting to the governing authorities and then celebrating your union as God, with God as a witness and the people that are there. Number three, united in spirit, Ephesians 4. Paul puts it this way, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Are you leading a life worthy of what Jesus died for? Yeah. 
That is a big question for us. Is the life I'm living worth what Jesus died for? And then he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. So Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer, Father, may they be one, speaking of believers, as you and I are one, so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them. When we're in unity in the body of Christ, when you're in unity in your families, that's a demonstration to the world of God's love for them. So let's apply this in our, in our families. We want to build unity in our homes. Matthew 18, Jesus said, I'll tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Let's not just look at that verse for church only. It's for families as well. Around the dinner table, where a third of uh, only a third of families in America nowadays actually have dinner tonight, every night together. Uh, two third, more than two-thirds don't uh, do that anymore. But when you come together around the Word of God and around a meal together, take the time to say, we're gathering in the name of Jesus and let His presence be there in your midst. And when you invite people into your home, do the same thing or your small group. And how about, how about starting fighting for unity in your home by eating dinner together? Regularly, make that a habit. Some of you might go, doesn't everybody do that? No, actually everybody doesn't do that. And, and so we want to be a people uh, who honor that. And how about that time, suggestion, be a tech-free zone uh, where we actually do this old-fashioned method of communication called talking. And uh, we can talk about our day and how our days went. I'll tell you what, if you do this regularly, you'll get your teenagers to say more than one-word sentences. Especially, I'm not against you, uh, teenage young men, uh, but it's harder for guys generally to talk than it is for girls. Parents, if you get your teenage guy to talk to his mom with articulation and politeness, you are doing the most huge service you could possibly imagine to his future bride, training him how to interact with a woman respectfully. So, uh, research shows that if you're watching or eating together in front of a TV, that you do not get those emotional and mental health benefits that come by coming uh, working together. How about dating your kids regularly, individually? The larger your family is, the more expensive that is. Uh, to date your kids, to let each one know and have a good communication, good rapport with each one of your children. How about husband and wife, you dating each other regularly? What it, takes to win, uh, what it took to win her, guys, it takes to keep her, to still love her, to still woo her. There is nothing wrong with having this wonderful, sacred romance together in, in our marriages. And the best thing you could do, actually, is to pray together every day to keep Jesus the center. Uh, research shows this. You know, I like stats. Uh, a joint study of the U.S. Center for World Missions and the Billy Graham Association said that uh, it's generally known that half of all marriages are failing today. Uh, 
Two out of three second marriages are failing. Three out of four third marriages are failing. gets worse. But if a husband and wife pray together every day, only one out of 500 marriages fail. That's one-fifth of one percent. So pray together every day. Heaven, for heaven's sake, pray together every day. Get some time together. Um, if someone said, you sign up right now for $199.95, you could get a guaranteed non-divorce policy. You know, you'll always love each other. You, we'd pay $1,000, $2,000, $10,000 for that. But all we have to do is pray together every day. Keep Jesus the center. It doesn't have to be these long, boring, uh, drawn-out things that are just ritualistic, but generally just going together. Maybe he gets up earlier than she does and go sit on the edge of the bed and say, God, bless this woman today. Protect her. Watch over her. Keep, keep her mind free from any attack of the enemy, from any fear or anxiousness. Help her to do what you've called her to do today. Give her strategy and strength. Sustain her today according to your word, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. And so we, we want to be able to do that. And so if you are a single person wanting to have a godly marriage, make sure that this is talked about and spoken about before it gets beyond the point where it doesn't matter anymore uh, to keep Jesus the center. You want to say team, insert your last name there. Team bar. Hoo-yah. All right? That's what you want to do. Um, <laughs> no, maybe you don't want to do that. You don't want to, probably don't even want to say team bar. You want to say whatever your, your team is. But build unity and work in on unity in our lives. How do we build unity in the church? Unity is not uniformity. All right? It doesn't mean we all want to be little robots walking around that look like minions. They're all the, exactly the same, you know. But the church could be a beautiful orchestra and create a symphony, a cacophony of sound that is beautiful. And the oboe is not fighting with the, with the violins and the trumpets are not fighting with the harps. You know, but everybody who's tuned in to one conductor, Jesus Christ, and he's leading everybody in this beautiful uh, orchestra, this beautiful sound that comes out and is pleasing to God. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Work together, pulling on the same uh, side. I'll tell you what, two people on a tug of war, even the winner is exhausted. Let's drop our side, get together on the same side. We can pull for a thousand miles, pulling together in unity. So, I love God so much. I want to see His people blessed. In, in Psalm 133, God commands a blessing when we dwell together in unity. Your family will be stronger. Your marriage will be stronger. Singles, get plugged in and be and walk in unity. Walk in community with others. Father, thanks for this word today. We love you. We honor you. We give you the glory for every good thing. Thanks for that great group of new Westsiders today. God, we love you. We appreciate you. Lead us this week. Protect us. Protect our children this week, God. 
Protect them from the onslaught, the ideas that are out there from the enemy to, to steal and kill and destroy, to rob their, their future and their hope and to, to, to discourage and disillusion them. Protect them, God. Sustain them according to your word. Keep us safe on the highways and freeways. Keep us safe in our jobs this week, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us until we meet again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.